Okay, I'm going to read the passage out loud, and you can follow along. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I, th Oops, I read the beginning, sorry. <laughs> okay, verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in, gospel from, in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. May God bless the reading of his word. And now I want to invite um, David Rowe up to the stage. Well, good morning. It's so good to be back here. Um, you know, this is the place where I, I learned all my mistakes. Um, you were my guinea pigs, for those who remember me, when I uh, came here. I think this was, uh, I was 25 years old. I took everything I had, and I was in Chicago, uh, graduated from Wheaton College, um, felt called by God to, to give my life to missions to China, met a a Korean-American gal who came to Wheaton for one semester, fell in love with her, and then she decided to go back to Boston, and I wanted her to stay in Chicago. I, said, I, I told Jackie, I said, if you, go, if you go back to Boston, it's over. So why don't you pray about staying in Chicago? Next day she says, God, call me back to Boston. So I prayed. Lord, are you calling me to Chicago or Boston? And thank God that he called me to Boston. And that's why I came here. In fact, Jackie said, don't come here because of me. You called, God called you the Gordon Conwell, not because you're following Jackie. So that's a... But I came here, 25-year-old, started at Gordon Conwell and um, seminary. And at that time, Morley Lee, Pastor Morley Lee was the pastor here. I think Jamie Taylor, the English pastor, had, was just about to come. And so I came to this church and said, I need a church to serve. And um, started to work with ICF. Is ICF still around? I'm sure it's still around. But ICF and CBF. And these were um, the first ICF meeting I remember was in, in the, the church building in the basement. I mean, it was... Um, I think we had eight people there, and the person that I remember the most was Eric Ding, okay? So he was a um, sophomore at MIT, and um, so started with college ministry, and, and we, we, we worked here in, with college students, and of course, I, I think, do I see any left from those, that era? But I, I took some pictures that I found on, on, you know, in my storage of, of folks, and you can take a look. I'm sure you might recognize some people there, but there's Eric and May in the middle there. Of course, there's a few of you. Um, there's even uh, you know, the MIT CBF, you know, Jen and Brian over there, David Chu and Lauren uh, and Joyce uh, Lynn. Uh, as you know, she went to the mission field and she, she died on the mission field on the airplane crash with Missionary Aviation Fellowship. We have Wellesley girls as well as, sorry, Wellesley women, my, my, my bad. I, I lived at Wellesley for a year, so I, I should know this. Sorry, I've been on the mission field. Um, 
And then we did China teaching team. So that was a time when, when uh, you know, we were doing college ministry, excited, um, and learned all our mistakes in ministry. And then I, I became the English pastor, English minister here for a few years. Uh, but the Lord had called us to China. And so we, 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 we had a baby at the time, Jeremy. You know, Jeremy, if you remember him. But um, we, um, we had Jeremy... There's Jeremy and Mika, but Mika was born in, in New York. We moved to New York for a year to get ready to go to China, and then uh, Jeremy was born here. I remember him just one day I was preaching or preparing for a message, and he just tumbled down these stairs, you know, he, as a baby. So, I, so this is kind of like where our kids, um, uh, at least Jeremy, uh, kind of grew up here. Um, then we went to Kunming for a year and a half for language studies. Jackie learned Chinese there. Um, I learned some Chinese as a missionary kid in Taiwan, so I, I was brushing up on my Chinese, but, but Jackie learned uh, even to say ni hao ma, starting from, from that day, you know, and then uh, we were in China for nine years. Uh, after Kunming, we moved to Beijing, 2003, and I, I'm sorry for those who've heard the story before, but uh, I know there's a lot of new people who don't know us, so, so um, just to share with you, we, we moved to Beijing uh, right around the time of SARS, and um, I remember arriving in a few months, SARS hit. And of course, right now, this is after COVID, so we kind of think, no big deal. But back in those days, you know, it was like, it was equivalent to the walking dead. You know, that we, we had entered zombie land, and we were all going to die of this disease. That was sort of the, the, the sense. And I, I felt at that time, you know, I'm gonna, I had two little babies at the time. Jeremy and Mika were one and two, or three and four. I can't remember exactly, but... but um, I was like, and I knew we were going to have to stay indoors, you know, for a lot of weeks. I was like, this is just to be too crazy. Let's go back to Boston, you know, bring SARS to here. Yeah. And um, so at that time, we prayed about it. But uh, Jackie, Jackie, is Jackie here? Let me just say, I need to, need to at least recognize Jackie. If you guys don't know her, she's probably talking with, oh, she's talking with Pastor Pond right now. But my son, Benjamin, is back there. Benjamin, can you just say hi, everyone? You guys remember him. He was, uh, I'll share a little later. But that's Benjamin right in the middle. Benjamin was born in Beijing. Okay, so he was our Beijing baby. He's a he, um, happy boy, happy-go-lucky boy um, in Beijing. And that was a time when we, um, we served the Lord, like frontline ministry, just reaching out at the time. Uh, they saw a lot of house church work. And, and, of course, the Beijing Olympics came and, and, and I know that you guys are, you know, probably between um, if, if the U.S. and China were competing, and, and it was. We went and saw the, the U.S.-China women's basketball match and the U.S.-China baseball match. Well, normally, uh, when I was speaking on the Chinese side, but uh, we taught our kids to cheer for China at the time, partly because the U.S. was creaming the Chinese on, these, on those two sports, right? So, but our, our kids love China, and we wanted them because we came here to bring the gospel to China. And so our hearts are for China. And I just want to say that, that that's our call. We had just felt called to Beijing. We, we saw the, the church grow and, and um, just came at the right time. In, in Beijing, the church, the house church just started to blossom and grow. We would walk down the streets and we hear singing praises from the apartment complex, from house churches that we didn't even know about. And it was just like God moving during season. And, um, and I have many stories to share about that. But got to meet some very key pastors who taught me about suffering, taught me about sacrifice, and taught me about the faith. And I'm going to preach also about that today because I think that's a lesson we can learn from them. But moving uh, 2010, uh, we came back here for a home assignment. And that was a time when... Uh, the Lord shifted our plans. We had, I had been involved with a Lausanne movement, um, which is every 20 years or so, the evangelical leaders of the world gather together, kind of like the, you know, the Vatican. They bring all the bishops to kind of decide, or cardinals to decide something. Anyways, Christian churches, uh, the, the Protestant church, we're all kind of different denominations, but we all are sort of evangelical in our faith. So we come together and we bring leaders together every 15 to 20 years. Started with Billy Graham and John Stott in 1974. And then uh, Louis Bush and um, Thomas Wong in, in 1989. And then 
the third World Congress was going to be in Cape Town. And that's when I started to plan to bring 200 leaders from China to Cape Town. Well, anyways, because of that, I got on the blacklist of the Chinese government, so we couldn't go back. So, after a year here, and that's where we got to, you know, our kids, Benjamin, I think was in fifth grade, or fourth grade, I can't remember, third grade, or oh, fifth grade, maybe. Anyways, uh, Jeremy, no, no, sorry, Jeremy and Mika, Jeremy was fifth grade, Mika was fourth, no, Jeremy was sixth grade, fifth grade, around that time. We came back here, we found a place in Bedford, and we were in Bedford for a few years, actually for three years, and then found out that we couldn't go back. So um, Gordon Conwell offered me a position as a director of the Christy Wilson Center, and so I began to uh, run the pro mission program at the seminary and just saw God raise up future pastors with a heart for missions. And some of them also became missionaries as well, but just was able to see God use me at the seminary. Uh, but at the same time, uh, Jackie was uh, serving at a place of promise, uh, a drug addict ministry in Lowell. And um, I see Andrew and Charlene, you were living there for a while too. We, we were thinking, remember, we were thinking about whether to move to Lowell or to stay in Bedford, right? And at that time, it was a hard decision for us. You know, um, our kids were doing well in Bedford. They loved Bedford. If you ask Benjamin, Benjamin loved Bedford. His teacher, you know, Miss Weinstein, was just the third grade teacher, was great. She, you know, it was great for our kids to be in Bedford because it would be a good school system to get into a good college. Isn't that all about? That's what we're all about, right? Getting into a good college. That's why we're paying all these high bills of, of mortgages and real uh, good school districts to get our kids into good colleges, right? I mean, sure, maybe not this congregation, but I'm sure the Chinese congregation this morning when I was preaching, they, it resonated with them. <laughs> not so with you, I can tell. Okay, anyways, so we um, moved to, in the end, decided to move to Lowell. And um, now, you, you remember our kids, if you, see, if you remember Jeremy coming and Mika coming, and even Benjamin, right off the mission field, they're like, you know, they're like naive. Not, not, they didn't even know Justin Bieber, right? Let alone uh, coming here. And I, they, they, were come to, and they didn't know pop culture. They didn't know the Kardashians. They didn't know anything, right? They go to Lowell. And every other sentence is, F this, F that. You know, blah, 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 blah. You know, sing the, the songs that they listen to. If you listen to Pop 40, man, I tell you, they're going to, or they, if you listen to any kind of pop music in the suburbs, they just kind of laugh at you. They, they're listening to like, you know, this kind of music, you know, and um, it's, it's a different kind of culture altogether. Now, Benjamin was a little more protected because he was in, in, in the elementary school, but I'm telling Jeremy was going into ninth grade, Mika going to eighth grade, and that was a big step of faith. Um, at least they were coming here on Friday nights for, uh, for, for youth group. So we just, you know, felt a little, little uh, at least uh, have a good, um, you know, Sandy was really good with the youth group at the time. Well, um, we look back and just see how God's handing it. Uh, remember, we were in Lowell for about three years. And then Mika, she was a sophomore in, um, in Lowell High. And she was, I mean, they, they actually got used to, they really liked Lowell. They, they got used to, of course, you know, the, it was a different environment than Bedford. But um, they, they really enjoyed it. And, but Mika said, you know, Dad, um, you talk about missions, you preach about missions, and you talk about China. So why are we still here in America? Shouldn't we go back? Shouldn't we? So I said, oh, wow, if my daughter said that, maybe we should pray about it. And then within a, we did, literally after that conversation, within three, four months, we began to pack our bags and get ready to move out of Lowell. It was a quick one. Um, Andrew and Charlene were there when we left, and it was like a storm when we left. I tell you, we just put everything in storage. You know, I just took them out of storage last month, put them six years in storage. I tell you, we, we just put, we didn't have time to even look through our stuff. We just put everything in storage, and we moved, uh, back, to, we moved back to Asia, moved to Taiwan. Now, Miko was going to go into a junior year in high school. Jeremy was going to a senior year in high school. And if you think about college, you're pretty much saying, I mean, at that time, we're like, well, we'll just leave it to the Lord. And so we, um, uh, we, we, we moved to Taiwan, and it was only in, 
in Taiwan when we got, uh, you know, you know Jeremy, he's, he, he started this junior ROTC program at Lowell. You know, this is, um, the kids in Lowell are actually divided into two groups. There's the, the Caucasian kids who are primarily in this Latin Lyceum program, which are kind of like special, uh, high, uh, going into good schools kind of program. And then you have the rest of Lowell. And then you have those who go into junior ROTC and it's um, the rest of the Lowell kids. But uh, the, the officer came and asked us one day, said, uh, we, we think Jeremy could be the first person we can recommend in a few years to go to one of the military academies. And so that's got the process of thinking about um, him going into West Point. Anyway, so make a long story short, he got into West Point and we got that letter in Taiwan. And, um, and so uh, he, is, he graduated from West Point and then he's now in Georgia Oh, no, sorry, he just left Georgia. He was in Georgia doing uh, ranger school. He just finished ranger school, and he passed. By the way, ranger school, I mean, I just got to say this. For those who don't know ranger school, you know, if you asked our family four months ago, we didn't know what ranger school was about. We thought ranger school was like park rangers, you know. (laughs) And uh, whenever I tell that to Jeremy, he gets so mad. I mean, ranger school for, for the Army it's like Navy SEALs for the Navy, right? You know, it's, it's like, it's more prestigious to graduate from Ranger School than West Point. I didn't even know that. I was like, what? You know, who cares? I, mean, I shouldn't say who cares. I just like, good job, Jeremy. But um, and with a dislocated shoulder, he was able to pass. Um, and he, so he just passed. And so now he's heading to Colorado Springs to, to lead, I most likely lead a platoon of um, of you know, soldiers, uh, you know. but so you can pray for him. He's doing well. Um, and so he's got a five-year commitment. He's already committed. He's already gone, gone for a year and a half in, in, in the army. And then after that, most likely he'll go to Arizona. So pray for Jeremy. He's on the, on the right track. Whether he stays in the army, we'll, we'll, we'll leave that to the Lord. But Mika, just a, for those who know Mika, remember her? She was the little girl. And I think most of you know, um, you know let me just show you quickly. Yeah, there's Mika. Um, Mika, you know, was part of our youth group. Many of you, you know, Phil, you, you, you remember her as well. <clears throat> um, little of a, uh, kind of like myself, a little of a, more of a rebel kind of thing. You know, just had her own ideas. Um, n- never really, uh, when I say rebel, I'm not saying like, you know, did drugs and kind of thing. But she just had her own, you know, her own path. And she went to Wheaton College, which is my, my school, and, she, and, and, and so on. And I, you know, for me, I, <clears throat> I at the beginning thought Wheaton was better than West Point. But um, for Jackie, West Point was better. So in the end, I think Jackie won on that battle. But Mika went to Wheaton, and it, uh, she graduated uh, this year. And so she just moved into us. We just moved to Bayside, New York, three weeks ago, about a, a month ago. She got us a house when we were in Taiwan. We, uh, she got all our stuff moved from, from Lowell to, um, to Bayside. And so she, she got a job uh, working as a marketing, uh, in the marketing firm. It's one of the largest firms in, in Manhattan. So, so somehow she's on that path, uh, and we don't know how. I mean, she just started, so uh, pray for her, but she's really enjoying that job. Uh, and then we have Ben. Ben um, came with us to, to Taiwan. We were in Taiwan for six years. And Ben is, um, is uh, getting ready to go to college. He's going to USC. Um, and, of course, uh, you know, Wheaton, USC, Wheaton, USC, you know, for me. Um, okay, he wanted to go to USC, so he's going to USC. I got one in Wheaton, one at West Point, one in USC. And they're all, they're all doing well. So thank the Lord. Uh, that uh, the Lord has been good to our kids. Um, and really, whether we're in Taiwan or Lowell or Lexington or Bedford, the Lord has been watching, or in Beijing, the Lord has watched over our kids. Now, back to Taiwan. The last six years, what have we been doing? Um, as you can see, uh, <clears throat> Taiwan is very different from mainland China. China was a fast-growth church. China was under suffering, uh, under persecution, or at least a lot of under pressure. I mean, it, it was a different environment, but the church was alive. People were excited. People were interested in the gospel. 
Taiwan's a little different. Taiwan is a Buddhist country, completely open. You can say, you can go on the streets and preach the gospel and no one would care. But the church in Taiwan has been growing steadily. In the last 10, 15 years, because when I was a missionary kid in Taiwan, the, the church was literally just maybe 1% or 2%. Maybe if you add the Catholics together, 3 or 4%. But since I've been back, the last 10, 15 years, the church has almost, for the last 10 years, just continued to grow and doubled. From 750,000 believers in 2005 to about five years ago, they did a survey, about 1.5 million Christians in Taiwan now. And that's about 6 to 7%. Some people say Taipei and Taichung are 10% Christian now. Can you believe that? I mean... In my days, you know, you couldn't even see a church. And so this is the laying down of mission. My parents went to Taiwan in 1970. And so, you know, remember the Atakaris, Ron and Shelby? Anyways, they're sent from our church here uh, from, the, from the Chinese side. I just bumped into them to the Taiwan last month, right before we left for the first time. We've been in Taiwan for six years. We've been neighbors and we never saw each other. But... Um, uh, so missionaries came for 30 years, 40 years, they've been spreading the gospel there, and the church just continues steadily to grow. It's hard. People aren't interested, but you just lay your life there, and the church begins to grow. Um, and so it's at this turning point now in Taiwan where the church is now saying, we've been growing, and now we hear about Mission China from China, they're going to send missionaries. Maybe Taiwan, the church in Taiwan, it used to be missionaries were just, you know, people from America. Now, we are thinking of sending our missionaries. And so, um, Wayne Chen. Wayne Chen was one of the mission speakers here. Did he speak in this church? I told, I told him to come here and speak here. He, he's a good friend, a good buddy of mine down the road. He's a, he's a neighbor of ours, but, um, and his kids and our kids are friends as well. But uh, Wayne is training missionaries uh, to, um, to go from Taiwan to the rest of the world. And so, uh, you know, he invited me to speak to their graduating class um, uh, for their graduating ceremony, but uh, there's about a dozen of them. But the Chinese Taiwan, the Taiwan church in, is getting ready to also send missionaries. And so what I did was I, you know, I, what I, I was meeting with some of the pastors there, preaching on occasion, teaching once in a while, but I was also teaching at a seminary at Huashan, and Jamie Taylor was the president of, of China Evangelical Seminary. So at, at the seminary, I was also uh, leading uh, their, their mission program, or not leading, but on the committee of leadership, helping, helping their mission program as well as teaching there, and then um, living life in Taiwan. So our Taiwan experience, though, even though we were in Taiwan, we saw uh, some of this momentum begin to go and build I was also involved in bringing the rest of Asia to start to capture this heart for missions. So um, in October, in about four months, I'm bringing about 700 leaders now from 23 countries in Asia. And the Asian church is just about ready to begin a mission-sending movement. So do you remember, you know, we, we hear about William Carey from England and then Hudson Taylor from, you know, Robert Morrison, they sent out missionaries from England and they came to China. They brought the gospel to China. They came, uh, um, Mackie, Mackie came, from, came to Taiwan. I think he's from Canada. But the, the Western missionary movement came from, started in England and then Europe, Germany. Um, and then you had North America, Canada, and the U.S. sending missionaries all across the world, planting churches all across the world. Now these churches have grown up, like Taiwan. The church in Taiwan is strong now, it's stronger now. And now, China, Taiwan, Korea, and other countries, like the Philippines, Indonesia, India, Pakistan, uh, Bangladesh, uh, Cambodia, Vietnam, their churches are starting to grow. And now they're thinking, maybe we can send our young people like what the Americans did, like the English did. So we're like, this, we're, it's, it's just a few right now, but we're at this turning point in world history where now the Asian church is going to begin to send missionaries. 
And it takes time. Just like this tiny Bible church, uh, we had, I remember we had our 30th, we had our 50th anniversary when I came, but I remember the 30th anniversary at the time. That was 20 years before the 50th, if, if you count, do your math, right? <laughs> and um, at that time, we, we were supporting missionaries because I, I was, I was an English minister, but I was also the missionary pastor of our church. Most of the people on the mission board were people from someone, another church coming in and wanting our money. And so we prayed for them, we supported them, and we, we you know, there were a few, like, you know, uh, the Shelby Adekari was from our church, and then Eric Yang, who was on the Chinese side, he started to, to go, and then we had, um, of course, we had, you know, Jamie Taylor, ourselves, um, as well, uh, the, the Taylors, our family, Morley Lee, um, yeah, the hoes and, and others who, who went out. But someone from our own youth group who was raised here was sent. And I won't mention her name because, you know, just, um, just to, for protection. But she joined um, uh, SIL and went to a big country. And it, it took about 30 years for someone from our own church coming from our own youth group to actually go. You know? And so sometimes it just takes the church at, at, at the certain season when they're ready to send their own young people. And so that's, if you take that kind of analogy and say that's what's happening all across Asia. The churches are at that stage now, the 30-year anniversary kind of stage where their young people are ready to go. Well, um, moving on to um, um, the passage today. How does the gospel advance under hostility? And the reason why I want to share with you with, from this passage, because when I think about this church, I, I, look, you know, I, I saw the Apostle Paul, when he writes his letters, he's writing his letters in jail. So he's under, he's under imprisonment, he's under hardship, but the churches that he's writing to not necessarily are under prison. They're not necessarily uh, um, suffering. Some of them are, but most of them are not. They're in open situations. But he talks about a certain kind of a love relationship, a partnership, especially with one church. Now, when he talks about the Corinthian church, he's, he wrote two letters to the Corinthian church and Corinthians went to, and it's primarily just a rebuke of the church. They're, they're fight, infighting, there's sexual immorality, and they're even questioning his apostleship and they're saying, you know, who, who gave you the ability to think that you, and, you know, Apostle Paul's in prison. You know, and, and, and then Paul, you know, Apostle Paul, he actually says, I robbed other churches. And he's talking about probably the Philippian church. I robbed them, meaning I took money from them to eat so that I can serve you. You know, so there's some churches that he just kind of felt like, you know, I'm taking from others to, to serve you. So you should at least recognize that, right? But with the Philippian church, there's this sort of like a, um, you can say a, just a partnership of the gospel, a love relationship with the gospel. So when I thought about it again, I thought, well, you know, what passage to preach from? You know, I've, I've, I've served and preached in, on many churches. And when I think of Chinese Bible Church, and I think of the English congregation, you know, I think of the Philippian church. Um, this is where our kids were baptized. I baptized them right in this, this um, tub, or what you would call it. Um, our kids went to this youth group, right? I pastored the church, and many of you, of course, some of you don't know me, but uh, we, we, we've known each other. You know all my faults, right? I know your faults, too. We, we, we love each other, too, and, the, and we, we just, there's something about you folks that when I think about you, it really sometimes brings me to tears. I think, wow, the Chinese Bible Church of Greater Boston, there are people here that love the Lord, and I remember this time, and, and you guys have been praying for us, you've been supporting us, and just been our friends throughout the years. So if there's anything you forget about today, just remember from the bottom of our hearts, we really thank you. Um, there's that, that love that we have for you um, that, that, that comes from God. And so this is what Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, he just, you know, when he talks about 
you, just like when I think of you, there's that joy that comes. Memory, wow, I remember you guys. It is right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. Whether I'm in chains and defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And then he tells, he encourages them to abound more and more in the knowledge and the depth of God. And then he, you know, he, he really wants them to grow in their faith. And so this partnership that we have, missionary and church, you know, the Roe family, and even the hoes and the dings and, so, and the and CBCGB, the partnership that we have is that we are in it together for the gospel. While we're in Beijing, while we're in Taiwan, or even at Gordon College, you folks here are our partners. And we get joy knowing that you're serving here faithfully as we're serving over there. Secondly, this is that what I've learned from, and what Paul has learned too, is that often in his life, when he's in prison, and he sees the Philippian church, you know, serving God not in prison, but in prison, the gospel advances under hostility. And the gospel shines the brightest under adversity. I'll share a little more later about that, but let me just go to the next point here. But the third point is really... Uh, how does the gospel advance under hostility is a complete, sold-out life of Christians for the gospel. That is how the gospel advances. And that's what I see on the mission field. That's what I see here. And so, importance of partnering together with your missionary. The gospel shines brightest in adversity and a complete, sold-out life for the gospel. That comes from Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So, Talking about first. Now, there's a formula that I'm going to say. First, of course, is the partnership that I talked about. But secondly, this formula is this. Faith plus adversity equals spiritual growth. You know... Um, when I heard about Ranger School, you know, I went and Googled it and, and, and YouTubed it, and I saw the kind of conditions that Jeremy had to go through. I tell you, they, they, they give him two or three months of, they only get to sleep two or three hours a night. They give him these packets of food that only are enough calories, half the calories they need for the day. So they're starving, they're sleep deprived. And they throw them out into the woods and say, okay, lead a platoon through swamps and see how you do. And what they're trying to do is, they're trying to give you the conditions of Vietnam, pretty much. Just say, this, this is like you know, post-Vietnam. They want to put you in that kind of condition to see if in a real war situation, can you actually lead can you actually produce? And, and I, I'm, I'm learning a lot from the army how they do these things. They, 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 they really try to put your physical limit, your mental limit, your emotional limit to the test. And, and, and I, I look at our, in my faith, I, I see that too as well. Of course, when we were in Boston and so on, and maybe Bedford, we, we're, we're growing each step of the way. And when we come to church and we listen and we, and we get in fed and there's, there's an incremental growth that we have to have every, every week and every day as we, you know, we have our devotions and so on. But there are certain times, you know, we're placed in an adverse, in a situation where we cannot do it on ourselves. And it's really tough. And, and it may not be imprisonment like Paul, but I'm sure in your life, you, you know those times, right? It could be a family feud. It could be a, a, a sickness in your, it could be your marriage breaking down. It could be your kids turning away from the Lord. It could be a bunch of things when you're just saying, Lord, I can't do it alone. And, and that's, think about it. Faith, that's the nature of faith. If we could figure out faith doing good times, if, if we could build our faith on a cruise ship, you know, Mika went to a cruise ship for the first time. She said, oh, we, we would hate to go on a cruise ship. We all get seasick. But 
But Mika's like, it's so great. But just imagine if, could you build your faith in the cruise ship? It would be virtually impossible. And there's certain, but there's certain times that God places us in these situations to test our faith. And then it's like the SAT score all of a sudden jumps 100 points. Right? It's like during those intense times, and it's not, it's not the whole life is that, but the intense time, I believe God uses that to test us. And for those who overcome those tests, God's watching, and then what he does is he blesses. And I'll give you one example is that, you know, we arrived in Beijing, I shared this many times, and, and you know, SARS hit, and then you know, I got a little scared because I thought my baby's going to die of SARS, you know, just like, you know, because it was, I mean, right now we're thinking, no big deal, it's because it's COVID. You know, uh, I mean, at that time, we really thought it was uh, uh, zombies coming, you know, and uh, if you went out and sat and, you know, if you met with anyone, we thought we are going to die. So, so really, uh, there, there, there are times in, in life when you just get placed in those situations and you got to make a decision, right? So in Beijing, we just, at that time, my faith was tested. And I really believe... Uh, at that time, I, I first wanted to leave and come back, right? And I, I shared the story before, but Jackie kind of challenged me and we stayed. So those are certain seasons in life that I look back and I say, oh, my SAT score went from maybe 1,100 to 1,200. I never, you know, anyway, so I, 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 I jumped, you know, because I was placed in a situation that God challenged my faith. And so when you, when you come to a certain situation in your life, this is the time to get that faith score up. That next time, of course, I, I mentioned was when we moved to Lowell. Actually, moving to Lowell was, was even a harder jump than, than moving to Beijing. You know? um, and so uh, that, that, but that faith jump was, was really, I was not thinking about our lives. You know what I was thinking of? I was thinking of our kids' college education. I would just like, you know, like I said, when you guys are thinking, I was thinking that too, right? So, yet God tested me at that time. And if they didn't go to college in the end, could I still trust them? So, those are seasons in life that I can see how God uses a church in, in our spiritual life to grow. Well, um, now I'm going to go to the third point because of time here. Okay, so, so completely sold out life for the gospel. And this is, if you just read the Apostle Paul, not just in the book of Philippians, just read throughout how he, even Corinthians, he talks about how he'd be shipwrecked and he's stoned and he's, you know, flogged and he just all out for the gospel, right? He just all out. And, and so um, he, he says this. He says, um, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I eager, eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, see, even the Apostle Paul was afraid and needed to overcome his fear of his life. He even talks about a failure, about him being lowered by, in the basket, and he, and he uses that as a weakness to demonstrate God's strength. And so he's saying that when he gives it all for, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, he's trying to say, I don't want to be ashamed. I want to have enough courage so that Christ can be exalted. And then he says, you know, whether I, I, I live now or die, it's up to the Lord. I'd much rather be with the Lord, but because of, for your sake, for fruitful labor, the Lord has called me to stay. So this lesson, of course, we, you know, we look at the Apostle Paul and we say, well, that's great. But here's why I think we need to see live examples today of this kind of living. Right? We can read it in Scripture. We see it in Jesus on the cross. We see the apostles. We even read it in church history like with the Hudson Taylors. And we even maybe see our missionaries go out. But we got to see that life living in your life. you got to see that kind of life in North America. It's hard, but you got to try to see that. 
Well, I'll, I'll just give you an example of how I learned this on the mission field. And, you know, I'm, I'm you know, still kind of learning this because as a Christian and as a, uh, as a missionary, I'm constantly um, um, growing in my, in my faith. But there's two pastors. I, maybe if, if you can kind of try to go back to that, that picture where we have Pastor Wang Yi on my left and Pastor Tian Ming on my right. The pastor on my left, Wang Yi from Chengdu, uh, in 2018, the police came and arrested him and sentenced him to nine years of imprisonment. And he's serving now, I think, third year imprisonment. And they call it, um, the, the, the charges, uh, subversion of the government, pretty much. But all he is is about preaching the gospel, the true gospel, and not being afraid. In fact, he's so bold. This is in China. <laughs> He says, President Xi is, I wouldn't say this on the Chinese side, so if there's any spies on this side, you know, please keep it to yourself. <laughs> he says, if President Xi doesn't believe in Jesus, he's going to hell. I mean, he, he needs to believe in Jesus to have eternal life. I mean, you, you say that in China, you get arrested immediately. But I, so, so maybe a little bit too much. But the point is, he is not afraid to preach the gospel inside of China. And then the, the pastor beside me, Pastor Taming from Shawang Church, he was under house arrest for nine and a half years. He had three security guards live right outside his door on, on a bunk bed, and he would play ping pong with them, and they would rotate, you know, every eight hours, another three security guards would come. And, and so um, he lived, he couldn't go out of his house for nine and a half years. And so these are the kind of pastors that I, I get to come engage. And I was, I was like, so I asked Pastor Timmy, I said, so how is it like being locked in your home for nine and a half years? I mean, I did it for 14, 15 days after traveling quarantine in a hotel, a Holiday Inn Express. And I was going bonkers. I was like, oh my gosh, get, I, I, counting the minutes to the seconds to get out of that small hotel room. After 15 days, and I, for those who live in Shanghai, I just, uh, you know, who stayed 60 days in, their, in your home, well, that's hard. But imagine nine and a half years in your home. And he said, you know, it was full of joy. Full of joy. Um, of course, there were difficult times too. But um, uh, these are the kind of uh, people that... Um, that uh, just changed the world. I was watching a sermon just to get uh, the inspiration again from Pastor Wang. He was preaching a sermon saying this, you know, the world, he's talking about the Chinese um, police, right? The Chinese police, they're not Christians. They don't believe in Jesus. But you know what else they don't believe in? They don't believe you believe in Jesus. So they want to test to see if you really believe. So what they'll do is, and he used this example. You know that Hacksaw movie where just one more, you know, you know uh, he's trying to, uh, I forget who it is, but he's trying to uh, save one more soldier, you know, and, but he was a pacifist. I forget his name. Anyway, so uh, his, his, he would never shoot a gun, never kill anyone. <clears throat> and so in, in the, but, but he was drafted into the army. And so <clears throat> in order to prove that he wouldn't do it, they beat him up. But they beat him up to see if he really believed it or he was just saying it. And what he's saying this, the world doesn't believe it. But when Christians are able to believe and you are able to pay a cost for it, that's the time when non-Christians are watching. Oh, I may not quite understand the faith. I may not, you know, I... But there's something about you that at least you believe it. So it brings some credibility to what you believe. So maybe I'll think about it. So in your life, and I learned that from these house church leaders. I, you know, I, when we made decisions that required exercising faith for our kids, I'm hoping, of course, right now they're young. They still think, you know, dad doesn't know anything. They'll think, you know, we know more than dad. That, that's their mindset. But one day they'll say, they made decisions that were risky, that could cost, but in the end they trusted God more in the end. 
are your kids watching you make those kind of decisions? Whatever they are, those are the kind of decisions I think be far more effective of, of, of spreading the gospel in, in, in this by just watching how you make decisions on that. So how does the gospel transform under hostility? Of course, we, we, the importance of partnership. The gospel shines brightest under diverse adversity. And people are watching you. Are you completely, are we completely sold out for the gospel? I'm still going in this area. And um, our next step is to move after this year in the U.S. to Asia. So OMF, the mission agency we are with, they may send us to Thailand, they may send us to Singapore, we don't know yet. But the next stage in life, I'm going to prepare for this next fourth world congress. I'm, you know, I'm the Lausanne leader for East Asia, so the next congress is going to be in Seoul, 2024, so it's really under my territory. So I'm going to be a major part of this next congress of 4,000 Christian leaders coming around the world. You know, people all coming to this conference to shape the next 30 years of Christendom. Where is the church going for the next 30 years? I get to decide who speaks on the platform. Of course, you know, I, I'm not going to put myself. I can say, who am I going to choose to speak on behalf of the Christian church for the next 23 years or 20, 30 years? Who am I going to invite? It's probably, if they can't make it, it's going to be people. I'm talking to them. It's those that the church is watching, the Chinese government, the non-Christians are watching, the world is watching, are those who are willing to lay down their lives for the sake of the gospel. And then finally, I'm just going to give you one last story here because of time. Pastor Ezra Jin is the, this pastor um, from Beijing. He's actually spoken the Chinese side before. But um, can you just go to the next slide? So we were in, at Wheaton College for a meeting of uh, leaders in preparation for this, this whole conference. Ezra Jin is from China, Beijing Church. And we were praying for him in Wheaton College. He was just about to go back. This is in June. His church was just informed that we're going to tear your church down. His church is larger than our church, 1,800 people in his church. Five services. House church now, by the way, meaning that illegal. But he's still running a church in Beijing. And the governor said, we want to install cameras in your sanctuary. Because what we want to do is we want to see who's coming to worship so that we take a you know, picture of you. And then during the midweek, we're going to go after each of your congregants. Wait, they wouldn't say that, but we know what they want to do. And what they do is this. They'll come to you at your workplace. They'll come to you at your school. And they say, don't go to this church. Because if you go, we'll get you fired. And you can't graduate from your school. And it's slowly. Being... So the pastor said, no, we're not going to install it. And so sure enough, the government came, shut down the church. They went online. COVID hit. And so he started to travel from city to city. And he just told me, I just talked to him a few days ago. He said, Dave, we're probably, by the end of this year, I've been planting a church every week in a different city. We might hit 100 cities by the end of this year. His church now used to be 1,800 people. He said every morning, 5,000 people come online to pray. They have a service every morning on. You know. And the year that they got attacked, 2018, 2019, they sent out 10 missionary units, mostly to the Middle East, overseas. So here's a church under attack, spreading the gospel, and sending out missionaries. Under covid and under government attack. The gospel grows faster under adversity. They have a faith that shines bright 
and people are watching. And we can pray for them that the Lord will give them grace. But we also celebrate that the Lord is working. And, it, and he is, he's the person I've chosen to represent China at the next World Congress. That's the message for the next 20, 30 years that will shape the rest of Christendom. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks as we hear from your word, from the testimony of your people, your church. God, we know that you're sovereign over all. You see everything. And we hear these stories sometimes seen so far away, but yet we know that somehow you're the same God over there as here in Lexington, Massachusetts. God, I pray, Father, that you would inspire Chinese Bible Church. You would inspire Crossbridge. Just like you've done so in the past. Challenge us under difficult or situations that are adverse. Give us a chance to grow in our faith so that when others are watching, especially our children and our relatives and our friends and our neighbors, that they can see something that really is true and that we believe it for them to consider. And then I know you will release a spiritual blessing just like you've done in China and in our lives. At that time, when we have passed that test, your blessings will overflow. And may your blessings overflow here. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen. <laughs>